You may be seated. Well, when the topic of eschatology comes up, typically the conversation revolves around the four millennial views. So we, we talk about, you know, are we a classical premillennialist or are we a modern dispensational premillennialist or postmillennialist or, boy, I, that kind of didn't roll off the tongue very well, a postmillennialist or are we amil? And so that's typically how the discussion goes when eschatology, the doctrine of last things taught in the scriptures, come up in conversation. And Christians really should study the doctrine of last things. We should, we should consider what is our millennial view. What does the book of Daniel and Revelation, for example, and the rest of scripture tell us about how things might pan out by the way, that's another millennial view. I suppose there are five, the pan-millennialist. It will all pan out in the future. But how are things going to pan out? We don't really know, do we? But the scriptures do tell us much about the doctrine of last things. But interestingly, one aspect of eschatology is not talked about as much, and it really should be. And this doctrine of eschatology is not confusing, it's not complicated, it's not difficult, but it is a very personal and sensitive uh, type of matter. And so what am I talking about? It's a doctrine that perhaps isn't talked about as much because of the uncertainty of it, the fear surrounding it. The, the, the sense of, of, of being finite. And it's a part of eschatology that is known as individual eschatology. The individual teaching of last things. It's the experience of personal eschatology when one comes to the end of one's physical life. Individual eschatology. Death. These words, I'll give you a few quotes, kind of reflect, I think, how some in the world, and maybe even in the church, for all I know, think about or don't think about why they don't think about death. I'm not afraid of death, said Woody Allen. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Fear. And then a man wrote to the Associated Press just before his death, everybody has got to die. But I've always believed an exception would be made in my case. Now what? As he was on his deathbed. We live in a day where the realities of death in one way or another, are largely kept at a distance from us. Dr. Derek Thomas writes this, Ours is not an age that thinks about death very much. We have sanitized it. We have put curtains around it. It's not unusual these days for us to be well into our 20s and 30s and sometimes even into our 40s before we ever view a dead body. 
The Bible speaks very clearly about death. Death is very much a part of life. And death is a dynamic of the Christian's life. And we simply cannot avoid thinking about it. We cannot avoid talking about it. And we surely cannot avoid experiencing it one day according to God's plan. When Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he lived in a day where Bunyan and those of his age were well acquainted with death. Death seemed to be everywhere and all about. And again, a quote from Dr. Uh, Thomas. In the 17th century, when Bunyan was writing Pilgrim's Progress, death was a very considerable reality. Infant mortality, disease, and plagues. For the men and women of faith, Bunyan's era, death was viewed as a date in Jesus' diary to be reckoned with, to be thought about, to be lived by. People in the 17th century could not keep death at a distance like we do so much of the time. So as we come to the close of our sermon series on the dynamics of the Christian life, today we'll look at death, and next week we'll look at heaven. So let's talk about death and as we talk about death, let us remember that death is not the end. It is a crossing. It is a gate to life. So before we dive into what the Bible has to say about death, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture that we read from Isaiah. I thank you for these, these wonderful hymns that we have sung that so beautifully and clearly depict the teaching of Scripture, the hope that we have of being with our Savior in heaven. But Father, the way to get to heaven is through the experience of physical death. And for many of us, that strikes fear in our souls. And so I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and that you would enable us to consider what the Bible has to say about death, what the experiences are about death, and just very quickly, oh God, how we might prepare for our own death as we live today. So we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing, understanding death, let's talk about death according to the Bible. Now, we will not c cover everything the Bible says about death, but we'll cover these things. Death is unnatural to the world that God created. It is not good. Did you hear that? Death is not good. It is a consequence of Adam's sin. He sinned, and death entered the world. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Death comes to everyone. Adam's sin not only brought death to Eve and to himself, but it brought death to all of Adam and Eve's descendants. That is the human race. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. No one can avoid death. Death is according to God's plan. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, and then Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Chapter 8, verse 8 of Ecclesiastes. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. Death is experienced once. And the Bible teaches that the notion of incarnation is unbiblical. Hebrews 9.27 And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And death is not the end for the unbeliever. Let me say that again. Death is not the end for the unbeliever, the one that has not repented of his sin and trusted in Christ. The verse just read in Hebrews chapter 9 teaches that every person will physically die once and then what? Face Judgment, that means the righteous and the unrighteous will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And those who face judgment and unbel as unbelievers will suffer what Revelation 2.18, or 8 rather, terms the second death, experiencing eternal death in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur for the rest of of eternity. This second death is the greater death. It is a death that in one sense never ends. It is a living death, so to speak. Matthew 10, 28 teaches that God has authority not only over the first death, but the second death. God has authority over the eternal destinies of men. And so we read in Matthew chapter 10, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so we would be wise to fear God, to fear God in turning from our sin and putting our faith in Christ today that we might avoid the greater death, this second death, which is not really a death in the sense that we think of death being an end, but an eternal state of being destroyed and consumed over and over 
again where the worm never stops eating away the decaying flesh and the flesh never stops decaying and the fire never goes out and the burning flesh, that smell never ceases. We can't think about death without thinking about the horror of being subjected to the second death because we have refused to believe upon Jesus Christ today. We would be wise to consider the offer of the gospel that for all who repent of their sins and turn to Christ before they physically die, that second death will never touch them. Death is not the end for the believer. Though sin came into the world and with sin, death. And we all sin. We continue to sin. That's why we have a corporate confession of sin. And we will all die. Yet Christ has conquered the power of sin and the power of death over us. 1 Corinthians 15 and 56. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death doesn't end for the unbeliever. The second death never ends for the unbeliever. Death never ends for the believer, and we live eternally with our Savior. It's a crossing over death for the believer, not an end. And separation of the soul from the body. The Bible teaches that death, that the soul separates from the body and goes to its eternal destiny. And so when we think about the unbeliever, we just talked about the unbeliever. Their soul suffers in hell while their body is subjected to the grave until the general resurrection. And then for the believer at death, and I like the way our shorter catechism states this. I'll just simply quote it. The soul is made perfect in holiness and passes into glory as our confession teaches. While their body still being united to Christ rests in the grave until the general resurrection of the last day. What an amazing reality that we die, our bodies go in the grave, but our bodies remain united to Christ even in the grave, and our souls are perfected and go to be with the Lord in heaven. And theologians call this the intermediate state, the state of the dead after physical death and prior to the general resurrection. And it's taught in Scripture in these passages, Luke 23 and verse 43. As Jesus is there dying on the cross with those two thieves, and one of the thieves seeks Jesus, and Jesus says this to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Your soul will be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. So he always 
So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And then the passage that Josh read, Philippians 1, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, says Paul. And so a biblical understanding of death means that we, we have everything to hope for. We have every reason to speak about it, no reason to fear it. But for the unbeliever, they have every reason to fear it and to avoid it as best they can. Death is not the end of life, but a crossing to either a life of, a life of eternal death in hell or a life with our beloved Christ, a resurrected eternal life with God in heaven. So that's just a survey of a biblical understanding of death. And now I want to do something that, that to me is a little tricky. It's talking about experiencing death. And one reason it's tricky is that thus far, and proof is in the pudding, I haven't experienced death. <laughs> I'm here talking to you. <laughs> and you haven't experienced death, but you are here talking to you, but we've certainly experienced the death of loved ones, of church members, of friends. I was just with one of our church members yesterday uh, there, and it looks like she is on her deathbed. And, um, you know, it's, it's always just a hard, hard time, but a sweet time in many respects. Well, let's talk about experiencing death as best we can. The country of Beulah in Bunyan's story is his way of, of depicting the final moments of a person, of a believer's life as, he's, as he is, is, is approaching the very moment of physical death, those moments leading up to it. And so the pilgrims, Christian and hopeful, have made their journey oh, through all of those things that the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of humiliation, that fight with Apollyon, all, you know, and then all that, that business with the castle of despair and all of the ups and downs and the journeys, the, the enchanted uh, ground, all of that stuff that was so difficult. They finally made it to the country of Beulah and all of that is behind him, uh, behind them never to plague them again. And so in one sense, the difficulties that we face in walking the Christian life, the struggle and the battles, now in the country of Beulah, according to Bunyan, lies behind. They're near the celestial city. They can see it clearly. They begin seeing gold and lights and buildings. It's a beautiful view. There are orchards, gardens, and vineyards that are there that were put there by the king himself to refresh and comfort Pilgrims, as they are nearing heaven. And the country is called Beulah for a very significant reason. In Isaiah 62 and verse 4, we read about the term Beulah. And it means marriage. 
and it reflects the fact that, that, that Isaiah, in Isaiah 62, God is reminding Israel that he is their bridegroom, they are his bride. They, there's a contract of marriage between them, a covenant between them, that they are his. And certainly that pictures the ultimate bridegroom and bride, Jesus and his bride, uh, the church. And I think Bunyan very masterfully calls this country that represents the moments just before a believer dies, Beulah, in that it's that moment where we begin anticipating that we will be with our bridegroom. And Bunyan speaks about the more they journey in the land of Beulah, the more lovesick they become, almost using terminology from the Song of Solomon about, about a spouse's love for his or her other spouse. And, and there's a sixth sense of being so close to Jesus that you're homesick. I'm ready to leave this earthly existence and go home, lovesick, homesick. This is the country of Beulah. This is how Bunyan describes the experience of a believer just coming right up to the moment of physical death. One of the great hymn writers, Augustus Toplady, who wrote many of our hymns, on his deathbed, he said this, I am the happiest man. Christian and hopeful experience, what they experience is not really representative of all believers. Some do experience this, this sweet time of just just progressively, be it, be it a week, be it a day, be it an hour, be it a few moments, just as they are beginning to depart this earthly existence and their soul begins to be united, that contract with the beloved in heaven being renewed, as one guy stated, that it's just such a sweet and peaceful and joyful time. I think of someone who's lived a long life, who is dying of natural causes, and the family's around, and they're singing hymns, and it's just such a sweet and wonderful time. I think that's kind of what Bunyan has in mind when he's writing about Christian and Hopeful's experience in the land of Beulah, but that's not the experience of every believer. You know, just recently we heard about this, this unbelievable tragedy up in Missouri with the duck boat accident and this one lady losing so many members of her family and they're watching her family members die. And so accidents happen. And I think of those who have terminal illnesses and they just struggle for a period of time, whatever that may be. Maybe unconscious, maybe under the influence of very necessary medications to ease the pain or to further the treatment. And there are some diseases where one simply cannot, they do not have the capabilities of thinking. The mind is not there. And so how do we understand this, this description? What I believe Bunyan is saying is dying grace when accidents happen, when People are struggling under the, the cruelty of illness and disease. 
Some Christians approach death, and it's not just the joyful, peaceful bird singing, hymn singing encounter, right? But I still believe, and I, I just think of myself, I don't know how I'm going to die. Uh, hopefully you don't either. But um, I may die in an accident. And that's becoming more likely with my injuries, it seems like. But even if I just whammo, died in an accident, there would be a moment, I think, well, certainly God's dying grace is going to be there, but there would be a moment, even if I'm unconscious, I would be conscious in a way as I experience coming before my Savior. And so in that sense, what Bunyan says, I think may be true of every believer's experience in dying. That we have that grace that is, that is sufficient for us to experience, even for a moment, some lovesickness, some homesickness, and I'm going to be with my Savior. And that's sweet, isn't it? The experience of approaching death varies, and I think that's what I want to communicate. And I want to say something else about this. And I'll... Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1 that Josh read, they, <laughs> they just really disturb me. I would rather, my desire is to be with the Lord. Paul's saying, I want to die so I can be with the Lord. I don't want to die. Do you want to die? I mean, God has given us a will to live, hasn't he? And my bucket is really full. I've got a lot on my list. Another reason Paul's words disturb me is because... <laughs> I'm obviously not as godly as Paul. Paul wanted to go be with the Lord, but he wanted to stay for the purpose of ministry. Well, I want to stay in part for the purpose of ministry. Yes, <laughs> there is more ministry yet for me to do. But I want to stay because I want to see my children mature. I want to stay because I want to see my grandchildren. I want to stay because I want to ride my bike more. I don't want to stay because I have to have more surgeries. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes we have, sometimes I think we spiritualize this. I would rather go be with the Lord. And I mean, if that really does describe your heart, praise God. You're way, way beyond where I am in the spiritual life. But I think I can say today that I really don't want to die yet. And I'm just simply being up front with you. But I'll also say this. There is a date in Jesus' diary for me. And it may be that date during one of my sermons where this has happened before, where I'm just going to croak right here. And, uh, that'll, and hopefully it'll be after 10 minutes and you can say that Tim ended with the shortest sermon ever. Which is not my reputation, by the way. 
I mean, we really do have to have a little bit of humor in this discussion of death, don't we? But what I can say, based on what the scriptures tell me, is that there is a date in Jesus' diary where he is going to meet me. And, it's, and I'll be lovesick for him, and I'll be homesick for him, and I will gladly leave this earthly existence and go be with him. But to my knowledge, that day is not yet, and I want to live. I want to live and love my family. I want to live and love the church. I want to live and minister. I want to live and have fun. And I'm going to trust God for the timing of it. And for the circumstances surrounding it, I don't know how I'm going to die. But God has it all worked out. And it will be for his glory and my good. And the second way that Bunyan talks about death is crossing the river. And this is the actual experience of death. I want to make sure I preach a relatively short sermon today. Hopeful and Christian, you know, pass through the land of Beulah. They're told that there's a challenge ahead of them. It's this deep river that they've got to cross. And, and I just love the way Bunyan uh, describes it. And, and, and this, this makes so much sense to me. I mean, this is like something I would do. Uh, there, <laughs> there is this deep river. And is there a bridge? <laughs> is, there, is there a way that I could avoid going through that water? Is there a bridge over? And so Christian and Hopeful actually ask that. I think it's a very logical thing for people to, for believers to do. I don't want to go through the water. I want, a, I want it easy, man. I want, a, I want a bridge. Drawbridge would be good. A float boat would be good. And then they ask, well, is it shallow? <laughs> and they're told, well, it's shallow for some and deep for others. I'm going, great, thanks a lot. It's shallow for those who have strong faith in the king, and it's deep for those who have weak faith in the king. And that doesn't seem to be very helpful, but it's accurate. And the guy tells them, the angel or whomever is there, that they're only been, that every human being has to cross the river by going in the water. And there have only been two that have been, had not, not experienced that. You know who they are? Enoch and Elisha. The rest of humanity through the water, including Jesus. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And so hopeful steps in the water. It's shallow for him. He has no problem at all. Christian steps in the water and immediately begins to struggle. He begins to sink. He begins to doubt. He begins to fret. He is struggling. It is as if the water is going to overwhelm him that he is going to be taken under. And I'm sure he's thinking, 
what in the world is going on? I have made it thus far through all of that other stuff that lies behind, and I'm going to die in the water. And Bunyan beautifully shows us how, how much help we can be to fellow believers who are going through the death experience. Hopeful comes to him and encourages him. And he says this one thing, be of good cheer. Jesus makes you whole. And I just want to pause and give a little pastoral note here. As we're coming along, people who are in the process of dying, they don't really need to hear God is sovereign. They probably know that. They don't really need to hear everything is going to work out okay. They probably know that. What they need to be reminded of is be of good cheer. Jesus makes you whole. Rely upon Jesus. They don't need a bunch of spiritual platitudes. They need the Savior. And as Christian is there just struggling, as hopeful is there just trying to, who is in the process of death himself, helping his, his, his brother Christian, Christian sees the king. And he begins to fill the bottom. And they both walk out on the other side. And so the lesson I think Bunyan wants us to see here is this. By no means should we judge a believer who struggles at death as having false faith. Some of you may be around when I die. Some of you may be at my bedside when I die. I don't know what my experience is going to be. I would like to think I'd be old and just kind of drift off and go see Jesus and everybody singing hallelujah, hopefully for the right reason. <laughs> but I don't know. You may, I may struggle. You may go... He was my pastor. Good grief. But this is what I do know. Great faith or the weakest of faith, if it's true saving faith in Jesus, he has promised that we'll make it to the other side. And I think we just simply need to be realistic about life. We need to be realistic about death. Not fear it. But understand it biblically. And this is where the passage, Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3, just that we've read and sung, by the way, this morning, is really encouraging to me and I hope to you. Because I think, it, I think we can apply this to crossing the river. When you pass through the waters, which... All of us here will pass through the waters of that river. So this is not just some theological treatise that's on a bookshelf. This is life, man. When you pass through the waters, this is the significant thing about the death experience. <laughs> Other than it's me dying. But more importantly, when you pass through the waters, I, God, Jesus, will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. 
And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Is that not encouraging? Is that, that, is that not reason not to fear death and to talk about it openly and realistically? Not that we want to die yet, but that we will die and when it's God's time, we will want to go be with him more than anything else. Derek Thomas also wrote this, For believers, death is the gate of life, and this world merely a preparation for the world to come. I believe the best way that we can prepare to die is to seek God to make us more and more lovesick, and homesick for Jesus today. That really is what I need. To make us more reliant upon Jesus today. Providentially, I received a letter uh, this week uh, that was sent out to a number of us in the Presbytery about one of our pastor's wives who died just a couple of days ago. And it was a letter written by another pastor just to inform all of us of this, uh, this lady's death and this pastor's grief. And it was really a beautiful letter, so well written, so encouraging. And one line is this, she, the, the lady who died, closed her eyes in this world and opened them in the presence of Jesus. I don't know her experience leading up to death, and I don't know her experience in death, but this is the reality. This is the dying grace that we are promised. Death is a crossing and not an end. It is a gate that leads to life. And the Savior ensures that we will cross the river to the other side. And next week, we'll consider the other side. Heaven itself, the end of our journey. Well, that's our talk about death. And let's pray. Father... I just think about our sister who is on her deathbed even this morning. And so I would pray even as, as Christian and hopeful, pray that she would be of good cheer and that she would know that Jesus makes her whole. I pray that you'd grant her dying grace and that you would give comfort to Scott, her husband. Father, I pray that this might be a reminder to each of us that our individual eschatology is before us. It's in Jesus' diary. But we will close our eyes in this life and open them in the presence of our Savior in the life to come. So grant us 
dying grace even in the sense of preparing in this life for the life to come. So we ask and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.